welcome to our mid-roll lives. My name's Yves Sinclair. And I'm Cameron Lalana. Tagline goes here. How's everybody doing? My name is Yves Sinclair, and this is an episode six of our mid-roll lives. I've got Cameron Lalana back because he is my co-host. And today, yeah, thankfully, I've been I've been asked back for the sixth time. We're gonna see how long this contract keeps going. He he's on thin ice. Um, today we've moved on from poetry. Not really. I'm actually taking a class now about poetry. It's quite interesting. I hope you uh, keep reading poetry too, Cameron. That was a I think a meaningful exploration of an art form neither of us feel totally uh, complete on. Not that you probably ever can be, but we do have to unfortunately move on to a new subject. Cameron, what is that subject? Today, we're going to be talking about the meaning of life in the least, I know, I, when I hear that, I almost want to laugh because it sounds so vague <laughs> and like incomprehensible as a question, but we're going to talk about how we personally approach living a meaningful life mm. because where, whereas the meaning of life is a vague and perhaps Actually, it definitely is an unanswerable question. How we personally choose to live that life in a way that we find meaningful is an important question for all of us. Exactly. I think that it is the most important question because, more importantly, a meaningful life is uh, your life. It's your habits. It's your day-to-day actions. It's what keeps you going. It's your motivation. It's everything, really. Uh, A meaningful and purposeful life is something that I think oftentimes is forgotten about as we kind of get into routines and and move away from seeing the sort of purpose of everything in our lives. But it is still something that we can always come back to for that reaffirming sense of self, so to speak. Would you agree, Cameron? Yeah, absolutely. That's actually exactly the way you described it, of almost the contradiction or at least the tension that exists between living a rote life going through the features that often are put upon us by school or work or the necessities of life and our own internal life which may line up with those things i've been fortunate enough in my life that sometimes those things have lined up but a lot of the time they also don't and it creates almost a tension between your internal life and the life that's asked of you and that can be a problem that is seems impossible to solve absolutely absolutely but not unfortunately fortunately there are people in this world that i think can give you know meaningful advice and give sort of wisdom that they have learned from their own sort of experience in life because in a lot of ways where our entire civilization is built upon like what our previous generation did and so to speak but there are uh, some cool figure figures that i am starting to learn about and cameron is starting to learn about we've only touched the iceberg as we always seem to do but uh, or i guess we've only seen the tip of the iceberg <laughs> not touched it uh but ultimately yeah alan watts is the the i guess he's our initial sort of I have known about Alan Watts for a while, and he is the person that um, has been very impactful, I guess, in certain certain ways, and I guess YouTube in general, but 
his his words of wisdom, his his lectures that he has done way before we were ever alive. I think he died in the seventies, but he did a lot of these like BBC lectures that were recorded in the early twentieth century in which he talks about a bunch of different topics, but most of it sort of pertains to this sort of topic that is, you know, living, you know, life in and and especially in Western culture and how it's kind of the strange sides that that uh, entails, so to speak. So uh, I sent Cameron a video that uh, is probably like 25 minutes long, and it's uh, one of his lectures. What what was the topic, Cameron? Uh, it is called What Happens When You Only Pursue Pleasure. It's It's close to 25 minutes. It's about 12 and a half, so exactly half of what. Of oh, what okay. It felt like 25 minutes. <laughs> but actually, that's kind of a kind of a curious like that it was almost exactly like one second off from being exactly what you thought it was. Uh, so the basic point of the video, Watts is going over like how we can try to obtain what is a meaningful life for us. Uh, he starts off the speech by asking a, a theoretical audience, if you had all the financial means that you could ever want. What would you choose to do? And when people give him their answers, he essentially tells them, well, then you should start pursuing those things. Because the life you're living, if you are only living to make money and just exist and maybe sometimes get at those things, you're really draining yourself of the things you really want to be doing. Whereas if you focus your life around doing the things you want to do and then finding a way to make that work, then you're living more in harmony with yourself, so to speak. Um, mm. and he then goes on from there to talk more about, I guess, the need for power and the way that expresses it itself in us in everyday life is to find a way to control our environment. And usually that's stability and a job offers a form of stability. It offers you a way to pay for the expenses that come up and life becomes a little bit easier that way. Um, the flip side of that being, by pursuing that sense of, of stability, by pursuing that sense of power, you are then giving up in a part of yourself which you really want to pursue. And mm. his thesis is that we should work on giving up this need for control and power. Totally. And I, I'll drop in... Power corrupts. Yes, I'll drop in a few choice points from the video or from his speech, Please. really, in here. If you say that getting the money is the most important thing. You will spend your life completely wasting your time. You'll be doing things you don't like doing in order to go on living, that is to go on doing things you don't like doing, which is stupid. Better to have a short life that is full of what you like doing than a long life spent in a miserable way. And so, Therefore, it's so important to consider this question, what do I desire? Well, when we answer that question in a naive way, we figure out that we want a desire, uh, what we want is to control everything. Welcome back. Those were some choice quotes, weren't they? That's a... Mm. Definitely lines that we thought up before, had written down, and knew exactly <laughs> what we were referencing at the time. Um, but... That's essentially Watts' thesis. And that prompted us to think about ourselves 
and what this means for us. Me, when I was watching that, I thought it was a really interesting idea. I didn't necessarily knew if I agreed at that time. So that kind of led Yves and I to talk, and mm. Yves suggested to me that we write down our meaning of life, or at least how we personally at that time perceive the way to live a meaningful life and then spend the rest mm. of the week thinking about that and trying to refine that idea and seeing if you really actually agree with what you initially came up with. Totally. It's an interesting concept because I think a lot of us never think to even try. Like imagine if you had to write the book about like there were no uh, better sources. And so you were the first person to sort of write the book of like, Hey guys, I don't know if this is all that great. Let's write the book about what what we should be doing different or whatever. And and, and to really consider your own personal uh, meaningful life or purposeful life. It's a difficult challenge. I think me and Cameron were being 22. We're hardly at the point of even really knowing what wisdom is or knowing uh, what we totally love about life or what we're, we're really into. But it is this point now where I think post, you know, high school and, and getting into the past. I, well, some, I, I, Cameron is a recent graduate. I have not graduated yet, but at some point, if I ever, do ever get a degree, then I'll be a graduate. That being said, the point that I was trying to get to is just the sort of like, we're still very much in the beginnings of our lives and not really knowing what we're trying to do. So it it uh, it's an important thing to I think start thinking about that and sort of w- what do I want to be doing because we're at potentially dangerous crossroads I think especially when you watch that Alan Watts video he talks a lot about how people just kind of waste their lives you know per, like sort of just working all the time on meaningless things that they don't really care about you know and, and there's a lot of statistics to back this up I, I watched another. Uh, video and it sort of talked about how you know most people uh, according to some surveys uh it's like what like i think maybe only 20 percent, 30 percent of uh people in the western workforce uh, this is a generalization i cannot say this was fact but oftentimes a lot of people do not really care about the work that they're doing it's not passion based it's not creative based it's purely like monetary survival slash a monetary gain if you're trying to be really rich or whatever but the work itself is it's not you know your lifeblood or anything like that and and so i think before we get too far down a path like that it's important to check in and make sure like am i really interested in being a marketing manager at some meaningless company (laughs) you know or whatever it ends up being i mean there's plenty of i think obvious reasons to go down that path because of culture being so you know okay you gotta buy a house and have kids and get married and buy your wife nice things so if you're gonna do any of that you have to have money and money's not an easy thing to acquire without you know work and oftentimes creative work doesn't necessarily become very monetarily beneficial so we have to sort of it feels like they were like kind of like born into a trap it's like either you follow the path that society gives you but you hate yourself but at least you fit in or you don't 
but you're lonely slash like you know an outcast sort of character now that is a generalization but i think it's pretty safe to say that that's a perspective to have in culture wouldn't you say cameron yeah it's it kind of gets to the essential tension of living an authentic life a big concern of many existential philosophers and uh living a life that's viable in some ways and i think i i, I do want to give credit to the quote-unquote viable life here and say that it is <laughs> easy to it's easy to want the authentic life and i think sometimes our our discussion of whether or not we can pursue that is very tied up in ourselves and maybe doesn't consider enough structural reasons why we might not be able to do that for many reasons mm. and that gets into something i'll talk about later I don't want to get into it right now. It's not really relevant. Society. <laughs> it's a society. We live in a society, bottom text. Um, yeah, well, I'll talk about that later. But to start mm-hmm. off, I, I'm really interested. I guess we've kind of, you've started addressing oh, yeah. it already. I just kind of but, jumped into it. But yeah. Yeah, I wanted to ask you, but what, what did you write down? <laughs> a whole bunch of jarbled nonsense, honestly. But uh, I think the keys were just sort of, trying to understand myself, trying to understand who I am and what I enjoy, what matters to me, that kind of thing. And then getting around like how I actually do the things I want to do if I even know what they are yet. And that's still kind of a challenge. But uh, I guess really just came down to asking myself a lot of questions. I was writing down things like, How often do you reflect upon daily life and the actions that you take? When do you give? When do you receive? What do you want? What what do you already have? Stuff like that, where it just felt like kind of like, man, there's so many sort of things to consider as potentially meaningful, and that it's hard to really pick and choose which ones are currently the ones that I'll feel forever. You know, oftentimes I feel like in a sense it's it's kind of transient. There is no like core sort of feeling besides I think knowing that I think, I think it's pretty safe to say love or, or giving or, or that human connection. I think that will remain always meaningful to me is sort of wanting to have connections with people and wanting to give. And also, you know, obviously I think it's hard. You can't, never receive. I think altruism is an impossible task. So it's, it's a balance of of being a giver and a receiver. Part of the system that you exist in is having to sort of balance that. And uh, I guess that's the general sort of gist for me. It was just sort of playing with, with the consciousness of, you know, and I think maybe the second other thing, and it's not in my notes, unfortunately, but sort of something that I realized later on. And perhaps I should, you know what? Yeah, I'll bring it up after. Okay, that's part of the development of the week. Cameron, tell me what you wrote. Yes. So when I wrote down my thoughts, I was at work and I was really, really bored, which <laughs> gets to this mm. idea we've been talking about living, about living that viable life. I work because I need to pay rent and buy food and so on and such forth. Uh, so when I was thinking about that, I was really guided by the tension between the things I need to do to survive, to make it in a world that's really expensive, 
just to live. Totally. And also achieve the things I want to. And so I kind of like, oh, well, let's throw away the viable life for a second. Let's let's take on at Watts's perspective and ask myself if I had access to unlimited money. And for some reason, I can't give it away, although I would like to. Mm. Um, what would I do with that? And the things, as I kind of went through, what, what, are, the, what are the things I hold most dear? It, it really came down to two things for me. And that's, A, the question of how I can affect people positively. How can I mm. influence the world around me in a positive way? And there are a lot of ways that can go. And how can I keep the people I care about close to me? Because I am someone who, I think I'm naturally a loner. And I, it's, it's really easy for me to push people away or leave people behind. I've left behind a lot more friendships than I've maintained over the years. And although that's really easy for me, and I find it very comfortable to be alone, and sometimes I even find that to be like when I'm most productive or even most intellectually engaged, it's far from when I'm the happiest. And I would rather be a little bit dumber or even a lot dumber and very happy with the people around me than, you know, um, <laughs> well-remembered like articles <laughs> yeah, or Kierkegaard or whatever. So that, mm. that for me is, was what it, it initially boiled down to. Mm. Yeah. I think we're social creatures and, and there's nothing you can really do to deny that. Even when you say you're a loner, I know that that's just not true. Cause it, maybe we're all like, like no one will ever totally understand who we are. Like there's never, there's no other person that will be a perfect match for you in the sense of like, Oh, they complete me or whatever. And they have like, and everything you guys think is the same, but I think, I don't think that's the point. I don't think that would actually be very fun. So fuck, fuck that mentality about loneliness. Um, you're not a loner Cameron. <laughs> <laughs> I think you just don't have a, a million friends because yeah. in theory if you did maintain every relationship with every person you had you would have a lot of friends but nobody really actually has more than five close friends in my opinion or 10 close friends it's like it's very difficult to consistently maintain your friendships with everybody mm. uh that you know you have to sort of just accept that like you know people matter to you and you'll check up on them every now and then if you've if you really want to because that relationship's gone to that level but a constant conversation or a constant uh dialogue is is it's not possible we have to do our own thing survive (laughs) that's fair that's a good point i mean maybe what i mean to say is that i'm very comfortable with long periods of isolation uh or at Mm. least when i'm overstimulated because i can be an extrovert um (laughs) for the last year my my job was to be i had two different (laughs) customer service jobs at the same time like helping people use bus lines and navigate study abroad and giving a lot of speeches. But that's something that for me requires a lot of caffeine. And then when I come home, I crash and I don't want to talk to anyone for a couple hours. So I guess that's, that's more so what I mean. When I you sound like my dad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, sometimes you get put into a position where you need to do a task and it's not something mm. you're naturally inclined to. Yeah. that That is a very common thing. I think that kind of comes back to maybe a bigger point in the sense of like, how do you work a job that is fulfilling to your actual natural character and not just something that you can do or something that you're capable of, but it is dream? Because it sounds like you're like, I know you're good at that kind of stuff. It's just if it's not actually like fulfilling you, 
then I can, yeah, it totally makes sense that you'd have to drink lots of caffeine or like really like push yourself through it. Cause same way with my dad, he does meetings all day and I know he's not, he's an introvert actually. Like he just has to do this for his job. So he drinks lots of coffee too. That's such an interesting point to make. <laughs> yeah, it's, it is interesting. I, I mean, I, the way I look at it is the way I look at a lot of the jobs I do is that I try to take out of it what is a skill that might be important going forward in some way that I might be able to use that. So I try to develop that. So in a micro level, mm. I try to make meaning out of everything I do. So <laughs> in like the positions I've been in, especially in the capacity that I need to give a lot of speeches, uh, that was something that I viewed as practice for radio, actually, when I mm. had to go out and adapt to a crowd. Because when I was on radio, I had no way of gauging what people thought of the people called in. And Mostly that was at the end of the show. So it was really an after the fact kind of thing. But being in front of a crowd and seeing them react in live time gave me a feedback as I was talking and let me know what worked, what didn't. And that was a really interesting thing for me to do. And so I like that. But of course, it <laughs> I can tell when my energy is high or low. But that's not the point. This week, <laughs> that's, that's not the meaning of life, even though I think there are ways to find meaning in that. So for you, over the course of the week, you already mentioned that you've already started revising those thoughts as you came back to them oh, just yeah, to try totally. to make them more coherent to yourself. So what were the thoughts that started coming to you after you went back and read it and started thinking about it more? Well, I think what it really came down to was is my initial sort of thing was very jumbled and very kind of complicated um, without really having a lot of meaning, if that makes sense. It's like you can ask yourself all these questions or you can... Or I, I guess I did, you know, like, yeah, I asked myself lots of questions, basically, and then I tried to answer them. But I don't think life is just like that kind of simple, but it's even simpler. <laughs> it's I think it just actually comes down to for me personally, um, it's a it's a balancing act of of that giving and that receiving, but also you have to f sort of the, the the dopamine effect. I think ultimately another perspective that we really haven't talked about yet is our chemical sort of compounds in our brain and the sort of the 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 most significant thing being dopamine and serotonin, these uh, chemicals that spread and make us feel emotions and and have give us like our reactions to experiences. Um, when we eat delicious food, we're given a dopamine rush, you know. When we watch TV, you know, there's dopamine. Uh, when you play a video game, there's dopamine. There's like this very consistent sort of what the things we do tend to be related to those releases. And so that must play a huge role in sort of what our motivations are. And so a sort of interesting thing that's coming up, I think, in modern time is that we're constantly being barraged by easy dopamine uh hits you know not just like drugs but like actual sort of just experiences i think social media i think uh you know tv movies all of these sort of passive experiences where we're, we're just reacting you know we're just seeing things and reacting porn is big one uh it, it's a very strange sort of thing that i isn't talked about as much as it really should be because at the end of the day, I think even though we can very easily spend so much time on these 
uh, types of dopamine hits because it's a, it's it's pure fun. Like it's easy easy hits, and you don't really feel stressed by any of it. Um, it often leaves us feeling empty afterwards, like we didn't do anything. It was completely unproductive, and so that sort of balance of being uh, a productive, creative person—you know, putting something out there, using your brain, being active in that sort of pursuit of either knowledge or just like creativity and and, and action in general—versus the sort of just being a reactor and, and 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 having everything kind of given to you. And then you're just sort of enjoying it and that sort of relaxing uh, side of things. So if I'm so, oh, yeah, sorry, go on. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Go uh, ahead. So what I'm hearing is that you find meaning in being an agent in your life, not just someone who is experiencing the world around them, but is actively engaging with it and pushing oh. on their own boundaries. Absolutely. Uh, I, it's definitely a balance, but... Um, I was going to bring up the flow state, if you're familiar with the flow state. I'm it's not. sort of his terminology. Okay, well, here, perfect opportunity to educate. Perfect. Uh, <laughs> you've experienced flow. Everyone has experienced flow, I think. It, it's, it's, it's basically the headspace that you get into when you're, like, feeling it. <laughs> you know, when you're, like, doing some sort of activity, and you're not really thinking that hard, but you're just, like either moving or you're doing some sort of action in a very like systematic way almost it's like you're kind of a robot but it feels really good uh kind of examples are like you know if you're a really good rock climber and you get into your flow state then you're like just like doing everything perfectly you know you're climbing this mountain really really well and it's going really successfully because you've hit this point in your understanding of a subject or of a specifically a challenging thing, it, I think is a big part of it. It has to be challenging. And you reach a point where you've kind of gained enough mastery in some sort of challenge, like, say, skateboarding or chess. Or, or these are my examples, like skateboarding and chess right now are my big, like, sort of hobbies that are challenges, if that makes sense. It's like I'm trying to do something that I wasn't able to, to do before, and so I want to try to master the, the the several different skills that you have to gain to do those actions. And once I get into like a nice headspace, it, it this doesn't even always happen, but what if you do get into a nice headspace, it feels amazing. You're just totally like capable of doing everything. You know, like it feels like, oh, I can, I can do everything. Like I can, nothing is uh, impossible or whatever. You get like this huge head rush of sort of like, confidence and like you're in your capabilities and you like like failure isn't really happening and so you totally uh get into that just sort of like it's like a, it's, it's like a runner's high is another example you know like mm. you're just hitting your stride so to speak in some sort of physical action or like mental sort of test if that makes sense mm. um i'm sure you have plenty of those i feel like the modeling like when you're mm. painting those models yeah I'm, I'm sure you get into sort of a rhythm, right? I mean, I've got unmedicated ADHD, so that happens a lot to me. But <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, I completely understand what you're talking about. Uh, it's really interesting because as you're talking, what's kind of the formulation of meaningful life that's coming to my mind is, uh, of course, we're always going to chase some amount of easy dopamine. I spent a good portion of today playing video games when I should have been editing. Uh, our podcasts, hey. <laughs> um, but no worries. That that's a necessary so part I. of life, and it's a good release valve. 
But it, what it sounds like that you want to balance that with the experience of maybe it's better termed not maybe earned dopamine is a is not a good term for it, but something that you have worked to achieve. So when you do get that good feeling, mm. it is something that is more meaningful because it is something that came at the end of a lot of yeah it was challenging it was hard there were points of like frustration you know there was points of like ah i don't know if i can do this you know like what's wrong with me or whatever especially in skating because it's like this very like (laughs) like trying to do an ollie is a weird experience like it'll take it takes a few hundred tries at least that's what happened for me like it took like days weeks i think it probably ultimately three months of maybe skating like an hour or two every day um before i really was like oh that's what i have to um but then after that it became like so much easier to like move on to other things obviously i'm still working on my ollie i guess not obviously but i am still working on my ollie but still that sort of like you reach a sort of level where it really starts to like become like this fun and challenging experience because you get past the initial difficulty of just doing it at all and then once you can sort of do it then you're like wow this is such a deep like there's so many options there's so many choices and i can really express myself through this through this piece of and and it, it kind of fits back into i think an art and creative side of things you know our our ability to express ourselves within a a medium is an incredibly gratifying experience for me. Mm. It's kind of funny because when you first sent me the Alan Watts video, um, you know, how can we, what happens when you only pursue pleasure with a positive spin on pursuing pleasure? It, I almost had a negative reaction to it, but it's kind of funny. Um, as we talk about it more, it sounds like the pursuit of pleasure, even though we kind of associate that with sort of a freewheeling, freewheeling hedonism, and, and I think hedonism gets mm. a bad rap, I think it should be more seriously considered than it is. Um, There's different types of hedonism. Yeah. Well, I mean, it sounds like the hedonism you're talking about is like the hedonism of pursuing <laughs> hard-earned pleasure. Um, of like, It's kind of <laughs> almost paradoxical that to live a really pleasurable, easy life, you got to work for it, even in like your own private moments. Yeah. If you... Well, the reality is it's just, I think it's... It, it's it's the point or how do I put this? I guess it's just like, you can't really feel satisfied by doing nothing. Like our, our, there's something in our brains that just makes us work, even though we have sort of created a society where maybe not most people, but like a small percentage of people have the privilege of literally, they could just sit around and do nothing, you know? And like they could, everything is their food will be provided their like bed their house you know like everything is sort of given to them on a silver platter but that sucks and i don't think there's anybody that likes that you know (laughs) like that just sounds awful and those people have all become vloggers and i think it's now self-explanatory why this is a negative drain on society (laughs) shit (laughs) you calling me out um no yeah i mean i guess it's just like i mean wouldn't you say that like your pursuit of school, you know, like maybe a lot of it wasn't super fun, but like there were moments of sort of like, oh, I got an A on my test or, you know, like I earned that success and it felt really gratifying to know that I can do something, you know, that that meant, uh, I think that's what pushes us through stuff. Yeah, it's it's about finding 
what's meaningful for us in these things, which I don't, I don't, is this a good time to bridge into kind of what I was thinking about over the course of the week? Cause that's a, that's kind oh, of related yeah. to the thoughts I was having. Please. Um, so I, I've been, I was really wanted to consider the Alan Watts video because I didn't think I really agreed with Watts, uh, as I watched the mm. video. Um, and that part of that is just because <laughs> my background academically in terms of philosophy is in all in political philosophy. And I personally have a really external locus of control. So I'm just really, <laughs> whenever you're talking about the personal element, I just want to jump in there. Like, let's talk about structural issues uh, because, <laughs> you know, all I know is let's talk about structural realism in the liberal mm. order and, you know, socialist theory and all these other theories of international relations, which are all yeah. necessarily <laughs> structural and external. And so I want to come mm -hmm. in and jump in and say, well, it's really nice to pursue. Side. Yeah, it's it's nice to pursue the idea of pursuing this life where you get to pursue your pleasures. But the reality is for a lot of people that they are just in systems where that's not possible. Um, I, mm. I mean, there are a lot of people who <laughs> they don't even have access to a grocery store or a market. So how can we ask them to live an authentic life when they are trying to make ends meet every single day? And that's, you know, mm. unrealistic and, you know, someone well, who's privileged ask to, to demand an authentic life from people who are just trying to get by. And on the other hand, that's not to deprive these people of their own agency. If that is something, something that someone's going through, they have just a rich and internal life as everyone else, even if it's well, not I think there is as a, free. Sorry. You're, no, you can we, do we want to have an argument about this? Cause not like an argument argument, but like here's, I think a potential way of looking at it as far as like, if when you bring up like the sort of structural system of like, yeah, there's, like millions and probably upwards of over a billion or two people that have nowhere near the freedom that most people in Western North America slash Europe have in terms of what they can do with their lives. I mean, you're just uh, people that are just trying to survive, like just living is itself is still a struggle. Um, that's totally valid because <laughs> it is very difficult to uh to appreciate that but i think you can give it a couple caveats one of them and please call me out if this is dumb but mm. in theory right it is an incredibly difficult thing to change culture uh, one individual cannot like fix all of the problems that exist within like the 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 earth society human society as a whole um so if you are given the privilege to, you know, pursue creative things and, and, you know, you've sort of moved past the sort of natural predators of time being that, like trying to find food and water and place to sleep. Um, if you don't have that problem anymore, shouldn't you take advantage of your freedom to, you know, and do whatever like you can to, uh, pursue those sort of experiences because in a sense it's like we can't like not do those things like i think even though it were maybe we can acknowledge that like other people can't do those things it's not like we have the choice of just being like to to completely you know undo the the systemic issues it's it it's like when in theory I think yeah, this is sort of this is definitely problematic. So I, feel free to call me up. But like, I guess um, it's like 
isn't it kind of lame if you have the opportunity to like pursue art and be creative and be a, like someone that cares about doing that sort of side of things and not doing those things and instead of just like pursuing greed and money because that seems in a lot of ways part of the problem is that people do just pursue greed and money and then that's what ends up causing these massive problems within our society is there's this massive wage gap or a sort of like wealth gap between the one percent and everybody else regardless of you know where you are i mean obviously our you know life is a lot better generally in north america than it is in theory in theory in africa in certain countries where there's far less you know money and so people just don't have the opportunity to or resources i guess is another big part of it but um in that in theory it's like shouldn't if all of us were like the type of people to not pursue greed but sort of just pursue other elements of life then we would help you know bring up everybody so that there would be that would be the goal you know of society is that everyone Mm. can be free or can have the freedom to pursue things beyond of greed whereas Mm. the current system is just developing like you just focus on money and so then you end up being more of a problem than someone who isn't focusing on money I see a couple strands which we could address here and maybe some of them are related to a a different video or video, a different podcast, (laughs) really. Um, I mean, I think the problem maybe lies less in a culture which values the pursuit of wealth because it's it's not like, okay, so let's take this example. The most economically damaging form of crime in America is white collar crime. In fact, white collar crime Mm. is the most economically damaging sort of crime in the world. Um, All the petty thieves in the world can never hope to steal what business people do uh, just on a a yearly basis. So corruption (laughs) there. I I would argue that maybe when we talk about pursuing wealth on an individual level, that is perhaps a negative, but almost a neutral on the worldly scale, because the problem is not uh, a cultural mindset, although that certainly doesn't help. The problem is, a class of individuals who are able to live a life which basically sets the the agenda for everyone else because when you are mm. uh when you're you have a certain business class that has that is really prestigious and uh, the business class in America has always been quite prestigious it it is seen as a very heroic thing almost to have led companies into wealth and you become a celebrity Elon Musk um uh, Mark Zuckerberg, Warren Buffett, exactly, and that this is not a new thing. If you, I, I thought it was, I had kind of a revelation a couple years ago when I was reading some, um, God, Sinclair books. He wrote, um, "It can't happen here." Sinclair Lewis, and mm. in the book, I think it's Babbitt. The intro scene has the main character going on about how we re- need a real businessman for president. And as someone who grew up in a conservative family, I had like flashbacks to years of people saying we need a businessman that'll really get this country back on track. And the fact that that book was written in the 1920s just made me like ascend to a higher plane of being, realizing that this has <laughs> been a constant in our lives. So that that's my perspective on that. Business uh, is never good enough. <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, I, I think the other thing is that maybe if we consider humanity as a whole, I'm I'm a very I'm a very negative person who believes in humanity. I, I'm a very pessimistic believer in humanity. 
because I, I believe in most humans. I believe that people generally want what you're describing. I think that there are a certain, I guess you could say class, but there are just certain types of people who are power maximizers. And numbering in my experiences as a political science major here, mm. um, there's this story, it, uh, I think it was written by Andrew Schmuckler, um, called The Parable of the Tribes. And it describes the basic theories of power in international relations. But the basic idea is that if you have a group of tribes living in a valley, everyone living in peace, everything goes fine. But if a single tribe becomes a power maximizer and starts trying to conquer the other tribes, then there are only so many options that those tribes have. They have the option of being conquered. They have the option of being destroyed. They have the option of running away. Or they have the option of fighting the aggressors. Ironically, the only option that allows a civilization to exist under these, under these conditions is the one that makes them like the aggressor. So the fundamental problem of promoting, or I guess, bringing humanity to a state which is different from what it is now is, for me, not how do you change the mindset of everyone, but how do you restrain the worst impulses of us? which is uh, maybe a different question than is often asked, but that's the one that comes to my mind most is everyone has sort of uh, negative impulses. And there are some people who have impulses, which maybe they aren't evil impulses, but they are negative on the whole. And maybe it's the job of trying to figure out how society should work that we try to create something that negates or at least limits those really negative impulses. But that's kind of getting away from the, the essential point that <laughs> when we are talking about, um, we're talking about living an authentic life. It, it is related to this idea of, of like, well, how can you this this tension between, well, how do you live an authentic life or how do you live a viable life? And I, as I was approaching it, like every cell in my body, as I kind of briefly touched on earlier, was like itching to call it classist. That this is an idea that can only exist for a certain moneyed people, and then that makes it only of limited value since the majority of people are not moneyed in the world. But as I thought about it more, I I spent this week reading some Kierkegaard and, and Albert Camus. And for those of you who aren't familiar, mm. uh, Soren Kierkegaard was a Danish philosopher, sometimes quote, kind of called the father of existentialism. I'm not knowledge enough in philosophy to know how much that's true, but Soren Kierkegaard does have a lot of really interesting ideas. He mostly wrote regarding Christianity and his relationship to it. And to boil down a really, really interesting and complex intellectual life uh, for Kierkegaard, life was really all about suffering. And there's there are people who ignore that suffering and just pursue, like Eves was talking about, temporary pleasures to to deny their own suffering. There are the people who accept that suffering and then try to engage in a meaningful and for Kierkegaard, a civic life, uh, having a family, getting married, engaging with the church who accept that sort of despair and recognize that they can live with that. And then finally, the ultimate step is to um, reconcile the disparity of life with the promise of an eternal afterlife by taking a leap of faith and, and accepting a religious life. Albert Camus was a French philosopher who is influenced by Kierkegaard. He's, he's an existentialist himself, or at least a form of it. And obviously, he's very close friends with uh, Simone de Beauvoir and J.P. Sartre, who are both huge um, in <laughs> developing 
kind of the modern idea of existentialism. Camus took it in a slightly different direction. In an extended essay called The Myth of Sisyphus, Camus talks about the idea of absurdity. And he takes uh, Soren Kierkegaard's basic assertion of the despair of life. And he takes he actually evolves that idea because for Kierkegaard, the the problem is to how do you how do you reconcile the despair of life with living a good one? And for Camus, when he's talking about absurdity, he means he is actually has a very complex definition of absurdity, but for him, it's the contradiction, the paradox between uh, what things ought to be, or like it seems like they ought to be, or and, and what they are. So when he defines absurdity, he talks about what it means in the public eye. And so if you have a sword and you run a, a bunch of machine gunners, that's an absurd action. Not because absurdity is a concrete real thing, but because the ideas we have in our head of what that will happen, of like what a reasonable course of action is in that moment and what actually happens contradict each other. And that creates absurdity. And that is mirrored in the, like the need to be happy and also the despair that we naturally kind of live in. Um, and when Camus is writing this essay, he kind of starts it off really, really aggressively. <laughs> um, I'm going to read the first sentence from The Myth of Sisyphus uh, and Absurd Reasoning. Uh, there is but one truly serious philosophical problem, and that is suicide. Judging whether life is or is not worth living amounts to answering the fundamental question of philosophy. All the rest, whether or not the world has three dimensions, whether the mind has nine or twelve categories, comes afterwards. These are games one must first answer. Uh, so, <laughs> really comes out <laughs> of the gate swinging there. Camus is asking, really, like, what is the point of, like, getting up and living for anything because it's really hard and keep in mind that Camus is writing this in the midst of <laughs> in the midst of World War II I think in occupied France so or at least I don't know if he wrote that contemporaneously with that but he lived through occupied France so he <laughs> might be more familiar with that than most that of, of um, living the life of a writer who had to keep a gun in his desk in case the Nazis came for him he had a bit more of a pessimistic view on things um but he actually managed to resolve that idea because when he talks about this contradiction of absurdity, it, the goal, unlike what Kierkegaard, the conclusion Kierkegaard comes to, that you need to embrace faith to overcome this absurdity or despair, as Kierkegaard termed it, the goal is to embrace that absurdity because life is absurd. It doesn't make sense to keep on living. The logical choice is to not live because that's easier because that implies that you don't have to go through suffering, that you don't have to deal with all these things that will be really hard in your life. It's absurd to keep living. But the reason mm. the argument he makes for living is <laughs> because it's absurd. Uh, because your fate is your own. I'm, I'm going to take a few lines from the end of the myth of Sisyphus. He talks about Sisyphus. And of course, if you're familiar with the Greek myth, I don't need to explain this to you. But for those of you who are not, Sisyphus is was a king. And there are a lot of varying versions of this tale, so I'm not going to go into the intricacies because it doesn't matter, but basically he upsets the gods. Um, so when he dies, they curse him to roll a rock up a hill forever. Every time he gets the rock up to the top, it comes back down, and then he goes back down, and he pushes it back up again, and that's what he does forever. And Kierkegaard, excuse me, Camus eventually, or Camus essentially asks why not give up? it's much more reasonable to give up. But the point is not the easy route. The point is to find meaning in your absurd fate. Um, in his mm. essay, he says, his fate belongs to him. His rock is a thing. 
Likewise, the absurd man, when he contemplates his torment, silences all the idols. In the universe, suddenly restored to its silence, the myriad wandering little voices of the earth rise up. Unconscious secret calls, invitations from all the faces, they're the necessary reverse and price of victory. There is no sun without shadow, and it is essential to know the night. The absurd man says yes, and his efforts will henceforth be unceasing. If there is a personal fate, there is no higher destiny, or at least there is. But one which he concludes is inevitable and despicable. For the rest, he knows himself to be the master of his days. Um, and it's with that burden, each time Sisyphus returns to them, uh, the struggle towards the heights is enough to fill a man's heart. One must imagine Sisyphus happy. So for Camus, that reason to live is found in exactly the fact that you make your own meaning, essentially. So when I was thinking about this idea of how to live an authentic life versus how to live a viable life, I, I began to maybe think, is this maybe an artificial distinction? Is it possible mm. to live your own vivid internal life and still exist in, in maybe a shitty situation? Like we talked about before, there are a lot of people in the world who don't have access to the same things we do. I can step outside and I can walk eight minutes down the road and I can go to a, uh, to a market. I can buy food there. I, I have a job. I make enough money to pay my rent and still buy food. And there are people who can't do that. They can't go to the market because it doesn't exist. In fact, and that's mm. a huge problem in California and many, uh, many food-producing areas of California. Of course, um, the majority of work is done by migrant workers. And in those areas, oftentimes, there aren't grocery stores. They just simply cannot buy food that's not pre-made. Um, and that's, that's a privilege that I have. I also have the privilege of the fact that with my salary, I can afford to buy these things. And I can afford to buy not only the essentials for life, but also things that are not essential for life. I, I don't need my models <laughs> that I paint. I don't need the myriad stupid little things I buy. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I feel mm -hmm. like, sorry, not to interrupt too much, but ultimately this is very comparative mm -hmm. in a sense. It's like you're, you're. Your, is, a, is an authentic, meaningful life dependent on anyone besides yourself? Well, it's not. That's, uh, that's I guess, what I'm trying to say is that we, it, it, these things, these are important privileges to consider. And that's something that I find really important to consider. Like I said, I'm really into structural philosophy and I, I can't <laughs> stop thinking that way. And that's always how I'm going to be. And for me, some meaning will be found in trying to address that. But a deeper question, more than just what do I want to do and what do I need to be happy, is how do I like live my day-to-day -day life, even though it's really hard. And for me, I think mm. I find meaning in, in Camus in that it doesn't, your external circumstances maybe don't matter. Is It really depends on what you are doing to exist in this world. That's that's the main thing. And the viable life and the authentic life, the authentic, there's no such thing as a really authentic life. The authentic life is to... Uh, be <laughs> be aware of what's <laughs> going on around you and then finding your meaning in that. And for me, the meanings I laid out earlier, I think are the ones that I'm going to continue to have. And mm. um, I, what I, my goal then really is to continue to be aware of, <laughs> be self-aware about this fact that this mm. is an absurd life and I'm doing absurd things and maybe it doesn't make a difference, but that's why I should do them. Totally. I mean, it's just, it just seems like it's like life is about choice. Having a freedom of choice is a huge part of it. And then 
uh, how you react to your freedom of choice in theory. And and because there's an infinite amount of things that you can do, Cameron, or anybody listening to this, but it's what you end up pursuing that you need to be the most aware of. It's our impulses that control a lot of that time that we spend, but we can take control of our own, you know, choices in a, in a way, obviously it's, you know, maybe in philosophy, it's all suffering in the end, but, uh, you have the freedom to know what you think about and know what you care about and how you want to treat people. And, and that is inherently the kind of key in a sense. I think this is in reference to David Foster Wallace and his, like his graduation speech, where he's sort of just like pleased to some graduate students at some university, liberal arts university. The the point of education is not the details, but the, the knowledge that you can control what you think about. And so be careful what you choose to worry about and what you choose to not worry about, because that is your life in a, in a, in a nutshell. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, and uh, then, I'm oh, sorry. Oh, oh, go ahead. I'm gonna let you go on in just a second. <laughs> but what I was gonna step in and say, oh, you're talking about um, the shape of water. Before I realized what I meant was this is water, and the shape of water is a very different thing. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Sorry. Continue. <laughs> yeah. that, that's a that's a very important um, thing to consider. Uh, and then I guess just like you know, going back to Alan Watts a little bit. Um, your philosophy uh topic is interesting because it is such a like you know like big picture kind of perspective very structural very like is is life about like individual moments or is it about like the kind of overarching truth um and and i personally i think i'm i'm more interested in moments i i think that uh every day has the opportunity to be interesting and surprising and I, I cherish the opportunity to be able to see what's next and sort of explore a new territory um, and be surprised, which is something that Alan Watts also speaks about in his video about how, you know, if you have every every basic desire, every basic thing, then the kind of logical next choice is sort of explore things that you cannot control Um and so I think it is, in far as my own experiences so far, there's a total truth to that. It, the most interesting moments in my life or the most enjoyable moments or, was, or even theoretically euphoric moments are the kind of the moments where something completely unexpected happened and um, it was just like totally out of what I, my expectations were. And so I was caught off guard and that sort of freedom of being kind of caught off guard and still being surprised and still being able to sort of be accepting that you cannot know everything, you know, and that is a beautiful thing to have because that way you can always still be surprised and surprised is maybe the greatest experience mm. that anyone has. Yeah, that's true. Um, I also want to add that my response is absolutely biased by my own experiences in life uh, like i was addressing earlier i have a lot of privileges that i was able mm. to I, I have a family who supported me through college that i am able-bodied that i i don't struggle significantly with mental health issues 
that uh, frankly that i'm even though i'm mixed i'm fairly light-skinned got a very white name mm. i was raised in a middle-class <laughs> neighborhood so i have a lot of uh, middle-class social capital <laughs> <laughs> yeah but i'm looking over at the models of little spacemen on my desk and huge chad um and those are those are all things that help me navigate life in a much easier way and mm. so my interpretation of life is very much biased and colored by that fact. And it's also slightly colored by the fact that I am the product of my environment. I was raised in a very conservative, very mm. Christian environment. And although I'm neither of those things now, um, it, it still impacts me. The I, the philosophies of religion still really attract me. I am a huge fan of Soren Kierkegaard, even though I'm not religious. And I think he has a lot of really interesting ideas. And I really like listening to theological discussion. And in, in the same way, uh, I think I think it's really interesting that you talk about wanting to like live each moment and every day, because for me, I I don't think about that. I just like live the day to day and I live I, I have an inherent attraction to that idea of this idea of that viable life of just making money and trying to exist because I was raised in an environment where that was the most important thing. I was raised in, I would, mm -hmm. this is a really extreme term and I'm maybe overstating it, but sort of a, almost a death cult of sorts, not a literal death cult, but I, I think there's like a certain there's a certain trend in all of human society which encourages a form of death cult because it's actually really useful to have that uh, a generation of young people historically it's been young men uh, because young men are very stupid and very easy to get into stupid things uh, that mm -hmm. makes the idea of suffering heroic that makes the idea of like putting your whole life away to just earn money for someone else i find that heroic i like my grandfather his whole life was he came to the u.s from the philippines mm. and he worked as an insurance. The immigration to america yeah, story he, he worked as an insurance salesman he never made a whole lot of money but he was able to help my dad get through school and get through college and my dad was much more successful than he and my grandmother ever could have been and i like and I, I find a sense of uh heroics in that and that's something that i would almost aspire to if that's something that i knew i could do or Again, like the idea of warfare, a tremendously <laughs> stupid thing that many young men are are <laughs> inducted into believing is cool. And that's something that I was raised with. And that's something that I fundamentally can't get rid of. I like the idea mm. of dying in a conflict. I like the idea of, of not even a heroic death, just like the idea of... That was to the, Murakami. Yeah, I... I, some, I <laughs> or not... Murak oh, um, not Murakami. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I when I was in Petersburg, Cringe. I was visiting a mass grave. They have some of the biggest in the world. And I was kind of standing there. I was listening to they were playing Shostakovich's Seventh Symphony and I was thinking about World War II and looking over at the mass graves. And in that moment, I was like, I would die fighting the fascists for this city. And I still believe that, frankly. I would, if I died in, <laughs> in the defense of Leningrad, I could die really happy. And that's like such a strange thing that, that colors wow. the way I approach the world and the way that I have this almost sense of heroism about giving yourself up and that mm. in addition to my privileges absolutely biases the way that I approach this conversation. So I have found this to be really informative because it, I, I really, I really well, think you're like what you're talking about is really interesting because that is like so fundamentally different from the way I think. And mm. I, it is exposing many of the biases that guide my thinking to myself. Mm. Well, I think what I was going to say is just there's so many ways to come at this kind of problem because it is perhaps the greatest problem that we have, that we face as human beings. Our consciousness is our greatest failure and our greatest triumph. It is this 
opportunity to choose and sort of think, which there is no like perfect answer to what we're supposed to do, but inherently we still have to sort of choose something or we're, you know, playing someone else's game, you know, or we're, we're the pawns for someone else. And maybe we're always kind of in theory, the pawns for someone else because the rich people sure love to be rich. But, um, I think it's just, it's important to kind of remember that there's so many ways of going about this and there's no perfect answer. So you're not, you know, there's nothing wrong with your perspective, but maybe the biggest thing is just keep an open mind and, and try and get into other, is like, I guess my perspective is like, if I can get into as many people's shoes as possible or sort of try to at least sort of see as many types of opinions upon what a meaningful life is, then in theory, I can put it all together and kind of give myself that answer. But ultimately we're, we're, you know, we're living in the 2020s, you know, like what people thought was the way to live a hundred years ago is fairly different, if not radically different. Mm -hmm. And postmodern life is, is incredibly strange. And we're like kind of, this is the first time anyone's made it this far in society, you know, like technology is, is reaching a really, really crazy point. And so, you know, there's 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 total understanding and sort of under like the, there's no pressure to be living the best life because there never will be, you know, a perfect life. We're just constantly having to fight that mentality that like we're not doing enough or we're not good enough or you know like whatever it is that we ourself kind of hatred towards ourselves is what to what are we we can't we can't we shouldn't do that because it's it's impossible it's truly impossible to be perfect um when we live in a completely pointless life as you kind of said in the philosophical sense it's like we're just some evolved creatures on this planet in space and there's like a billion fucking galaxies you know it's like none of this really matters we're just creating it all but ultimately uh you know the dopamine receptors exist you know <laughs> and it works for some of us it, it gives us enough reason to keep going if you you know lived in the right situation mm. you got lucky but is it even luck I, who knows but ultimately i think we can kind of come to a conclusion that we don't really know what we're doing and we might never really think we know what we're doing but ultimately we're just doing our best mm-hmm. We are we're trying, and it's good to check in and, and try to analyze the way you operate in the world every once in a while, because it's good to understand your own operating methods. Totally, totally. I, uh, there's that is the the case, and the case is temporarily closed. Thank you all for listening. This has been Eves and Cameron of our midroll lives. We'll catch you all next week for something, I think, a little bit more structured. (laughs) This is probably one of those topics that we can never really condense into something totally logical or else it would feel almost too fake. Um, Next week, do you want to give him a hint, Cameron? I think we can leave him hanging. Okay, fuck you guys. (laughs) We'll see you all next week.